2: The story. I came out of a background where I was sexually abused as a child at the hand of my alcoholic mother's lover, and then my mother is killed in a drink driving accident. I'm separated from my father, and I grew up where many people, you know, rejected me and labeled me and humiliated me, and so all of that added together to make me feel very insecure as a young boy and as a teenager.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, the late Cy Rogers grew up in the United States and sadly, he was abused as a child. Later, he struggled with his identity and same-sex attraction. Eventually, he became a Christian and went on to become a leading voice on biblical sexuality, travelling all over the world speaking and teaching on the topic of healing from sexual brokenness. Today we'll hear Si's story and some of the lessons he's learned from his life experiences. This chat with Eric Scatterbo was recorded several years ago. And before we begin, I just want to let parents know that due to the subject being discussed today regarding sexuality and sexual identity, today's program is not recommended for young listeners.
1: Let's get started with one of the themes that I see throughout your ministry here. It's clear that you speak about sexual redemption and helping people who have experienced sexual brokenness. That's kind of a theme throughout your ministry, wouldn't you say?
2: Absolutely. And, of course, you know, I think many people who struggle in sexual ways, they struggle with various things. They they struggle with behaviors that shame them or control them or both They struggle in their attitude toward God, thinking he's mad at them and that they are bad and failing him. And um, it's a heavy load for people to carry, and it's a wonderful thing to get to be an ambassador representing God's character on one of the most universal human themes, and that being sexuality.
1: Okay, now let's kind of define terms. What do you mean by sexual brokenness?
2: I mean when your sexuality is off track uh, from God's intent. Mm-hmm. Um, brokenness or being off track like that can, you know, be a, um, a spectrum of problems. I think that uh, some people they struggle, uh, you know, as a single person with everything from issues like masturbation and fantasy. They may not be connected to another person sexually, but they still struggle internally. Um, I don't believe that God intended sexuality to be our master and control us, and yet some people. They struggle with a form of sexual brokenness that we often in modern culture call sexual addiction, where the appetite controls them. They Mm. don't control it. They take enormous risks, and there are big consequences, and yet they don't stop. Uh, Other people, you know, they're wrestling very much with uh, attractions beyond boundaries, whether that's premarital sex and getting involved outside of marriage, or they're getting involved, you know, in adulterous relationships. There are lots of ways you can cross the line and depart from what God intended. So some people don't call that brokenness. I think the word brokenness came into being in describing these things because of the consequences that inevitably can unfold in people's lives where their sexuality ends up hurting them instead of you know, being the thing God intended for them.
1: Okay, and I know the goal of your ministry is sexual redemption. Now, what does mm. that mean?
2: Well, you know, the actual term redemption from the biblical model means to buy you back out of slavery. And I think what a wonderful term to apply specifically to the concept of sexuality because a lot of people are mastered by their drives. They're controlled by their urges and their feelings and their yearnings. It doesn't make them bad. It just means that they're human and they've given vent to these things and they've become controlling. And how wonderful that we serve a God who understands that who gives us biblical record in the Old and New Testament of redeeming people who struggle sexually and of a God who doesn't just kind of save us generally speaking but he saves every part of us that's out of sync with his intent and thus if our sexuality also is out of sync um, that is of great concern to the Lord and we have no greater advocate than the God who would even want to redeem or buy back for his purposes that part of our lives And let me also add, as a friend of mine once said who's in similar ministry, you know, sexual problems, sexual sin, it's really not about sex. It is about the way that we relate to God and everybody else. Hmm. And so since we serve a God where relationships are his most important agenda, how I relate to him and how I relate to other people, that's really the first and second commandments. And so consequently, anything that interferes with that becomes very important to the Lord. So if your sexuality is interfering with the way you walk with God or interfering in your relationships to others, then naturally the Lord would want to bring His redemptive nature into all of that and and let the problem become something that pushes you closer to the Lord, that He can have access to address those concerns.
1: So if somebody is listening to our conversation today and is struggling with some type of sexual problems or sexual desires your message obviously is that there is hope
2: Uh, hope in a couple of ways very very important to clarify first of all hope in the wonderful character of God who understands you who wants a relationship with you and it is my belief that he would rather have you messy than not have you at all he'll be very happy to work with you on your issues just let your issues push you toward him don't let them separate you and take you from him At the same time, the second thing that is hopeful is that, you know, as mentioned previously, there is biblical record of God redeeming what we would call sexual sinners. Rahab the prostitute, Mm -hmm. Samson, King David, Mary Magdalene, the adulteress, the Samaritan woman at the well, even in the New Testament church in Corinth, there were illustrations of former sexual sinners. So the point is, not only is there hope in God's character, there are people who are established as part of God's history of taking them beyond where they were, taking them from their sexual sins, and giving them a life beyond that. And then in the modern context, that's also going on all around the world. Um, There are many ministries which address issues of sexual addiction. There are ministries helping people recover from childhood sexual abuse and um, other concerns where... You know, as as you've often heard the cliché, but it's not cliché. You may not have had a choice about becoming a victim, but you have a choice about staying one. And, and add to this second point of hope, uh, there are not only ministries and biblical record, there are practical things that you can do to get back on track. If you learned wrong stuff, you can learn to deal with it. Uh, if you've been off track, you can get back on track. These issues, they are resolvable. And so it is my encouragement that you would... Go to some websites, we'll mention later, that you would get yourself educated. You can climb out of the ditch, and God and others are your advocate and cheerleader to help you do so.
1: Now, Sai, you're not just talking about helping people with sexual problems just in theory. You're talking from personal experience, is that right?
2: That's right. I'm not a therapist, I am a pastor. I don't think I know everything, but I have learned a few things, and of course, the best lessons have come from my own journey. And some members of the listening audience may be familiar with my story, many may not be, but I came out of a background where I was sexually abused as a child at the hand of my alcoholic mother's lover, and then my mother is killed in a drink-driving accident. I'm separated from my father, and I grew up um, where many people, you know, rejected me and labeled me and humiliated me. And so. All of that added together to make me feel very insecure as a young boy and as a teenager. And the only place that seemed to ever afford acceptance for me was homosexuality. So it's really, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand why I became vulnerable to looking for love any way I could get it. I was hungry and um bad love seemed better than no love at all in my worldview at that time. And so into the gay scene I went And I did everything from the promiscuous lifestyle to later involvement in a gay church. I even attempted a sex change when the Lord intervened in my life 26 years ago. Um, I'm not trying to sound super spiritual. I just don't know another way to describe it. But God intervened and began to open my eyes to his reality. And if God is real and my life matters to him, then how am I going to live my life? And it began to matter. And as I researched the Bible and as I prayed, I began to come to the clear conclusion that God loves me and understands me and He wants to have a relationship with me. So I gave my life to the Lord and He didn't wave a magic wand over me and take all my feelings away and you know, turn me into some heterosexual overnight, but He began to uh, enroll me, if you will, in a process of cleansing defilement, bringing healing to my wounded heart, helping me learn to trust and relate again, Um, instead of running from men or sleeping with men, I had to learn how to connect with men also in in a new way that was not erotic or romantic. And I guess the bottom line, I needed also the support of other people who believed in that effort, and I got it in my church family, who looked beyond my obvious history and loved me. And they taught me that I could enjoy love without it having to be going to bed with somebody sexually. And, And so I began to grow away from my past. And so I never imagined that I would ever be anything other than gay. But today I enjoy being a man. I, I enjoy being a husband of 24 years. I enjoy being the father of a now 20-year-old daughter. It doesn't prove I'm not gay, and a lot of people can you know, get married and live double lives. I'm not, but the bottom line is all of that's just a byproduct out of my relationship with God. That's why, I, you know, Eric, I, I say to people who have same-sex attractions, my goal is not to make you straight. My goal is that you live a life surrendered to God and that He is more important than fulfilling your sexual appetite. And if your appetite kind of got bent down the wrong direction and, and uh, you've been off track, again, the Lord knows how to help bring us back on track. And whether that's marriage or not isn't the issue. Many people are married and their sexuality is a train wreck. But my point is, Uh, living a life where your sexuality is not your master, but God is. And you're living in harmony with His values. And so there are many people who've done what I've done. They've learned to live beyond their past. Not like it never happened, but they've learned to live a life beyond what happened. And that's my story in a nutshell.
1: Okay, so you were a practicing homosexual for several years, and then put your faith in Jesus Christ. And the first part of your ministry was in ministry to homosexuals, is that correct?
2: Right. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I was, I was full of newfound zeal that God is real, He loves you, and He wants to invite you into relationship with Him. Please don't let your sexuality be more important than God. That was my encouragement. I think for me, I had to crucify a lot of my flesh, and I had to give up a community of friends, and I had to start out going to a church that I feared would look at me like a freak from Mars. It took a lot of guts, actually, but I was motivated because God was no longer some code of ethics. He was no longer some ideology to debate. He became a real person with presence in my life, and I wanted him, frankly, more than I wanted all my gay lifestyle. So I was willing to pay the price of bringing myself to God daily and saying, I want you, God, more than I want that, but I still want that. Help me. And as I began to starve those appetites, they began to lose their power over my life. But having said it, yes, I, I ministered for a while to those with same-sex attractions, and I was amazed to discover that all around me, and all over the world, there are many people that the Lord was leading out of that lifestyle. Some married, some did not, but the bottom line was, uh, Jesus was going to be their master, not their, their sexuality. And so, of course, the lessons I learned... In learning to make Christ Lord over my life and encouraging others, I began to discover have application to everybody. Mm. Pastors would come to my seminars and say, this isn't about being gay, this is about being a human, and everything you're saying in your journey applies to me. So the light bulb went off in my mind, and I began to realize, okay, maybe the fruit is different, but it's all rooted in the same soil of our fallen humanity and our, our legitimate needs, simply misdirected. And so I I don't think I know everything. I certainly don't claim to have all the answers. I'm still a vulnerable human. But there are reasons why I never went back. There are reasons why I've walked on with God and enjoyed my life beyond the past. And it's my delight to get to teach and preach and uh, conduct seminars and speak in conferences to equip people with what I've learned in my journey.
1: Okay, let's talk about some of the lessons that we can learn from your life and your experiences.
2: Well... I think the most important thing I ever learned, God loves me like I am. Being a dad has really helped me grasp that more tangibly. Just because I love my daughter, it may not mean that I approve of everything she does, but I love my daughter, and I would move heaven and earth to help her. And yet, how can I help her if she doesn't come to me? And so, in a similar way, I think God is like that. Yet, so many Christians, I find, and certainly non-Christians, too, they think, I am bad, God is mad, and they run from him, not Hmm. to Him. And I would say that's the second most important thing I ever learned, Eric, is to run to God, not from him. Um, And then I I guess, thirdly, I've had to realize that, well, while I live in a microwave culture that wants instant replies on the Internet, um, the bottom line is God begins the good work, but it often takes him time, like a farmer knows, to get the crop grown to harvest. And there are just some things in my life that are going to take time. And just because I want to get better, and just because God intends me to get better, doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. So if I fall down, I must get up. If I get dirty, I must wash off. But I must never give up on the God who's begun the good work. He begins the good work. He promises. He will bring me through. But it may not be my way, my convenient timetable. So a lot of people have this expectation that if it's God and you really mean business with Him, He should wave a magic wand and uh, do some miraculous intervention. But I have to remind people, the blood of Jesus may wash away your guilt and sin. It's not going to wash away memory and history. Mm -hmm. Those are things He'll teach us how to contend with. And that will take time. So I'm encouraging the audience with that third point of not to quit on yourself Mm -hmm. or God. You may need support. You may need encouragement from others, and I think that's the fourth thing I've learned. I'm not going to succeed all by myself. I need others to help me make it there. I need the encouragement and I need the accountability, and that there are others who' shared my struggles and who understand and who believe in me and my effort. I'd say those are four important lessons that have made a big difference for me.
0: You're listening to the story. Today, we're hearing a conversation that Eric Scatterbo had with the late Cy Rogers, who was a leading voice on biblical sexuality and healing from sexual brokenness. Next, Cy will share what some Christians got right and what some Christians got wrong when approaching him before he was a Christian. All that and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. We're continuing with a conversation Eric Scatterbow had with the late Sai Rogers, who was a leading voice on biblical sexuality and healing from sexual brokenness. As we heard before the break, Sai had an abusive childhood and struggled with his identity and same-sex attraction in his young adult years. Now, here's more of Sai sharing insights from his life. Back when you were in
1: college... Before you were a Christian, some Mm. Christians approached you. What can we learn from the way people treated you?
2: Yes, yes. Uh, Yeah, there were Christians on campus when I was a a pagan in school, did not want God, had a bad attitude toward God and church and Christianity, and um, there were Christians on campus who, you know, they tried to reach out to me, and I think they made a very classic mistake that well-intentioned people often do on this issue particularly. They kept trying to convince me how wrong I was, that God did not want me living like that. And they weren't saying, come to God. They were giving me a moral lecture. At least that's how I interpreted it. So I didn't necessarily disagree with them that the way I lived may have missed God's intent. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know what to do about it. And, um, you know, then there were other Christians, and thankfully not many, but there were those, you know, who said things like, don't even bother trying to reach out to him. He can't even be saved. Hmm. And I thought, you know, well, where's, where's the hope in God's you know, character here if that's your representation of him? And I'm glad to be able to say, you know, they're gay people who don't agree with my view on things, but they do know I'm not their enemy. Because mm-hmm. I'm nobody's judge but myself. Uh, God did not say to me, stop being gay. He said to me, walk with me, Son. And as I yielded myself to God bit by bit, a little more and a little more, as I began to overcome my big distrust of his character and learn that he was good to me, Um, even though I couldn't touch God, I would say to my friends, I could feel him affect me uh, in tangible ways that gave me peace and made me feel clean and inspired hope and a sense that I mattered and that I was valuable to him, though I could hardly believe it. And so I said, I've got to keep on with him. Um, And so that's why I bothered dealing with my sexuality, because I wanted God more than my former sexuality. Mm -hmm. So here, these Christians in college kept trying to argue with me, your sex life isn't right, and they're putting the cart before the horse.
1: Hmm. So if I'm understanding you correctly, at that point in your life, you uh, really just needed a friend.
2: And, And, you know, what if that friend had been someone from a cult? What if that friend had been someone you know, from some f- some different faith than the one that I believe is the way to God, um, I could have been so very vulnerable mm-hmm. um, because church culture seemed only willing to accept me if I were living a moral life, but how could I qualify for that if I didn't know how to get to God? Mm. Um, so I, I think that they were well-intended, but they were missing the point. My sexuality wasn't the problem. It was a reflection or symptom of the problem. And the people who had the most powerful impact in my life, who were believers, were the people who looked beyond what I did and just valued me. Um, I already knew, if they were believers, what they thought about my lifestyle. I didn't need another sermon on sin. Um, I, I think I needed to know that in spite of myself, especially because I didn't know what to do about the situation, I just needed to know, do I matter? Do I matter to you? And when I learned that I did, you know, that was, that was very powerful to encouraging me. And that's why I'm so thankful, in spite of how some Christians missed it. There were other Christians who did a wonderful job of loving me. And I attribute the church that I belonged to as a young believer for getting it right. In spite of all they didn't know, in spite of being uncomfortable with me at times, they loved me. They gave me that acceptance, and they gave me that accountability that helped me stay on track in a world of vulnerability and risk.
1: We're speaking with Cy Rogers, who, as we've been talking about, was a practicing homosexual, but put his faith in Jesus Christ, and for several years had a ministry for homosexuals, but now has broadened his ministry to people who struggle with sexual problems and sexual desires in general. And you became a Christian, grew up, and were raised in the United States, but you went abroad. Can you tell us about some of your travels and ministry?
2: That's right, Eric. You know, I... I I guess it was just God's plan for my life. You know, you look back in retrospect, I, I was an exchange student uh, to Brazil. Then later in the military, I spent months abroad in Asia. And then, certainly as a Christian and as a missionary, I lived in Singapore for seven years and then New Zealand for four. And in fact, much of my work requires that I travel around the world very routinely, for six continents per year sometimes. And uh, it's a pleasure and a privilege to get to see uh, what God is doing around the world and even more specifically to the field in which I work um, because humans are humans Un- needs are universal regardless of continent or culture. and so I you know as mentioned earlier I, I began to get this clue that even though I come from this particular kind of background, the principles that helped me I find have relevance to everybody. everybody is a sexual creature and I also find as a pastor and as a teacher in Bible colleges all over the planet that, you know, many times, pastors in training, they lament that they don't get enough education on this. Even a four-year Bible college program rarely offers even one hour of discussion on sexual redemption. So, so how can pastors manage their own inner world of risk, let alone disciple other people, if they're not discipled themselves? So it's a wonderful um, thing that I feel I'm privileged to do, to encourage God's family, to teach His people... Um, again i don 't claim to know everything, but I feel like i 've got a piece of the pie that that piece of a puzzle for many people. Um, I can fill up part of that blank spot with understanding and encouragement about God and his redemptive ways so that Jesus can become Lord over this problematic and private part of our lives.
0: Well that was a conversation Eric Scadabow had with the late Cy Rogers all the way back in two thousand and six. But even though it was recorded a long time ago, the spiritual truths he shared and lessons learned from his life are just as relevant As ever before. For example, he warned us as Christians to not put the cart in front of the horse. By that he meant, it is not our job as Christians to tell non-Christians they're sinners. Rather, our job is to lead people to putting their faith in Jesus. Then, as they grow in their relationship with him, he can empower them to overcome whatever brokenness or sins that are in their lives. As Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And the best way we can do this, I reckon, is to do what we encourage you to do every day on this program. Share your story with others. Humbly share your own struggles of brokenness you've gone through and how the Lord has worked in your life to bring about healing. And then invite them to do as you once did and put their faith in Jesus. There's an old saying that goes, People don't care how much you know, until they know how much you care. So if we share with others in a caring way, you can go a long way toward bringing defences down and starting spiritual conversations. And this was the approach that Cy Rogers was advocating. Well, if you'd like to learn more about Cy, his website is simply cyrogers.com. That's Sy, S-Y, rogers.com. Finally, if you'd like some resources on how to heal from sexual brokenness, recent guests Tom and Donna Cole are carrying on Sai's legacy of helping people in this area. As a matter of fact, upon hearing of Sai's death, Tom posted this on his Facebook. Cy Rogers was a man I considered a mentor, leader and friend who passed away after a long battle with cancer. He was one of the most gifted speakers and communicators I have ever heard. He's touched so many lives with his transparency and his knowledge of Christ. We've lost a treasure. I will miss him. Tom and Donna Cole's ministry is called Pure Heart and their website is pureheart.rest. That's pureheart.rest. Well, thanks for joining us for the late Cy Rogers story and insights. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you, as always, to share your story with someone today.
1: Next time on The Story. One day she was leaving work and I'm like, good night, Rosie. And she said, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And I said, wow. And she goes, I want you to know something else. I love you. And those words broke through the hardness of my heart. Like nothing else could And I began to, to weep I cried And I hit my head under a counter Because I didn't want her to see me crying I didn't even know why I was crying really But something touched me so deeply And I thought I don't know what she's got But I have to have it
0: Tom grew up in the United States And struggled with his identity And same-sex attraction Meanwhile Donna grew up in a highly dysfunctional home And also struggled with same-sex attraction They now have been married for over 30 years And have four adult children We'll hear Tom and Donna share their unique story next time. The Story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is
2: a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.